Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Amy Freedy. Amy, welcome to the show. Good morning. Absolute pleasure to have you here. So I want to start off the podcast like I always start off the podcast with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Oh, buckle up. It's a fun ride. Um, so I am currently a licensed real estate agent. I operate in Boston, Massachusetts, greater Boston, as well as Southwest Florida. I am super fortunate to be able to work in both markets, which are very different. And I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. But before that, it's a, a long and crazy journey. I was in education for about 20 years, started as a middle school French teacher of all things, you know, and kind of changed, moved into higher ed and some ed tech stuff. And finally just said, I need a break. I need a change. Um, my husband and I had been investing in real estate over the years. So he said, why don't you step away from education, get a real estate license. I think you'd be great. Give it a shot. And so I did, <clears throat> excuse me. And that was six years ago, five, six years ago. And I've learned so much and I've learned how to create a business that works for me. And now I'm shifting that to helping others do the same thing. Fantastic. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Great story. Now, what me? Oh yeah. You went from education to teaching. Um, why the switch? I think it was something that, you know, real estate I had dabbled in. So I knew uh, as a consumer, we had bought and sold and renovated and flipped and done things like that. And I had experienced working with realtors. And so I knew okay, I really liked this agent and how they did this. I didn't really like this agent. I shouldn't say I didn't like. I There were things about them that were less desirable. And I wish there was more agents like this and fewer agents like this. And so how can I work to change that equilibrium and ultimately you know, work to lift up the profession? Because I think there's some, oh, you're just a real estate agent, right? Like there's this, this stereotype about what we are. And I think the more we all work to professionalize the industry, the better we'll all be perceived. Yeah, that's a true point. I mean, you're right. I think uh, the only people that are hated more than us is mechanics and lawyers, but right. people will will accept lawyers because they know their stock, so they just right. don't worry about it. And mechanics because you need a car to drive. Yeah, but they'll still complain about mechanics like they complain about realtors, but they won't complain about lawyers because that's just the way it is. It's they're true. not liked. They're just not complained about. <laughs> true. True, true. So, but yeah, you're right. A lot of it comes from experiences that people have, right? And, and when people feel that they're not cared about and they look at the amount they're paying, they start saying, I'm paying, you know, I'm paying for all this money and I'm not really getting much because nobody understands what's really going on in the background. Nobody understands what they do. And there's a few bad apples that gave us the bad rap. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Now, you're right. So it's good that you're in there. You want to change the perception. You want to do better. And that's awesome. Now, growing up, I'm sure you didn't wake up and say, you know, I want to be a real estate agent when I'm older. I want to, you know, help people invest in properties. <laughs> So, does anyone does anyone have that dream as a small child? <laughs> no. Usually what happens is this is an industry that we get in after fact. It's an afterthought. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, when you were younger, what did you actually believe or think you were going to do? That's a great question. So I am an oldest child. With that comes the responsibility of being bossy and always trying to be in charge. So I think I did a lot of like, ironically, playing a lot of school teacher and, you know, having my siblings and their friends as, as the students and, and doing a lot of playing school. Um, there was that. I do also remember, oddly enough, drawing like architectural plans and having graph paper and doing floor plans. So there was a little real estate dabbling back then, I guess. Ah, okay. I get it. Um, with that, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Now, 
which brings up the next point. So, you know, like everybody else, the real estate thing comes afterwards. And I guess education was kind of in the foresight. Now, with that being said, now, like you said, you serve uh, West Florida. Where in particular? So Naples is kind of my hot spot, but I also kind of the surrounding towns of Bonita Springs, Estero, Fort Myers, and some of the islands, Sanibel Island and Marco Island. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I was there in, I think it was April. Oh, wow. And uh, I'm going to be back in September. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's awesome. Uh, do you live in that area or community? I do. Or, okay. So Boston was something, where does Boston fit in? I was licensed and operating full-time in Boston. We lived in Boston for about 15 years, and that's where I got into the real estate world. And then the world changed. My husband went fully remote with his job. One chilly February morning. We're sitting there drinking coffee. And I said, why are we still here? We both hate the cold. Mm -hmm. And six weeks later, we packed up and moved to Southwest Florida. Hence the name, the Sunshine State. (laughs) It is, exactly. And I am super fortunate that I still do business in Boston. I I mean, I go back really regularly as clients need me. JetBlue and I are best of friends. I travel very frequently. Um, And it's, I'm incredibly fortunate that so much of our jobs can be done online and that I have team members in both locations who can support me when I'm not physically in another place. Um, so I'm really creating the perfect situation for me. So yeah, so basically there, I love how you said that, team members. So obviously you're building a team or you built a team. Mm-hmm. How big is your team, if you don't mind me asking? Honestly, I I am having been on a large team, it's not what works for me best. So I really just have one partner in each place who are, they are full-time there so that if I'm not there, they can cover things. Got it, got it, got it. You have an admin. No. Okay. Curiosity. I like the back end stuff. I like the project management pieces of things, so it doesn't bother me to do it. Yeah, it was something that I uh, I fought with. It's uh I keep saying I need an admin and then I just keep doing what I'm doing. So <laughs> I will throw in kind of a maybe reason I don't have an admin. I operate at a higher price point in general, right? My two markets are just higher price point markets. And so I do probably fewer transactions than the quote unquote average agent, which I'm incredibly fortunate for. So I don't have, you know, 80 transactions worth of paperwork going across my desk. Makes sense. Makes sense. Get that. All right. So With this thing, when you went from teaching to real estate, what would you say was your biggest struggle? My biggest struggle was missing the teaching component, to be honest with you. I missed educating and sharing knowledge and just helping people grow and develop, which is why I've added this kind of coaching and writing component, because I'm still able to live in the real estate space, but I do get to fill that that space that I was missing of educating and teaching and mentoring and sharing. Interesting. That is an interesting point because uh, you're right. Like I think even just general, the business in general has become more about education. It doesn't take a rocket science to open up a door, point to a counter and say that's granite as if the uh, people were so stupid that they didn't know what granite looked like. And there's a lot of agents that are like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie. When I got in, you're learning when the first time, you know, I'm even sure the first six months I was going, Hey, this is a kitchen, you know, like, cause you're just sitting there going, uh, (laughs) right. And you're learning. So I understand that. Now, the difference is a successful agent learns to go beyond that, where the ones that are complaining are kind of still showing kitchens. (laughs) Well, and you know, too, when you are in a transaction with a newer, inexperienced agent, it's frustrating. And so I think the better job we as experienced agents do to mentor and guide those younger agents, the less frustration we'll have when we're in the middle of a transaction with them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, yeah, I'm going to break it down another thing here. I'm going to get down here. Here's here's 
a good point, a good opportunity. When someone wants to work with you, let's get into the process of what uh, what would happen, right? Like just say someone calls you or emails you now, where would you go from there? Like what would the process look like? Sure. So we would set up an introductory call because I am a firm believer that not everyone is a fit for me and I'm not a fit for everyone. I make very clear in my messaging that I'm not, I'm, we're not going to go over cold calling scripts and door knocking plans. Like that's, I, I haven't disclosed, but I'm an introvert. So I do real estate differently. And if those are the, you know, if the cold calling scripts and the running numbers and all that, not running numbers, running scripts to prepare for cold calls is what you're looking for. I'm not the coach for you. Got it. I am more of a let's, let's figure out who you are, what your strengths are, what your personality type is. And let's take those factors and build a foundation that will help you be successful. Back to the original question. They set up an introductory call. I get to know them. They get to know me. I talk about what it's like to work with me, which is one hour sessions once a week um, for a minimum of six weeks. And, you know, we really make sure that we fit with each other because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you wasting my time. And there are plenty of coaches out there. So I think it's super important if you're going to make the investment to find the right person for you. I will add that aside from my just, you know, personal one-on-one coaching, I have created a course that's just the fundamentals, soup to nuts for beginning agents. It's asynchronous, self-paced, six modules. So, you know, if they didn't want to make the coaching investment, that is a great way to kind of say, okay, I've passed my exam. I know how many square feet are in an acre, but how do I choose a brokerage? How do I calculate commissions? What is a cap? What are, why do I need to keep a spare pair of shoes and some paper towels in my trunk, right? Like all those little things you learn as a developing agent is encompassed in the course. Got it. Got it. So yeah. So you have something from, for someone who's not even licensed yet, basically. Yeah. Or looking to get licensed. All right. With that being said, like what are like, okay. So you're not into the uh, door knocking and cold calling. That's not your main forte. Now where I'm going to go with this is that in terms of, you know, producing leads and, and, and growing your uh, client base and building your database and stuff like that. What are some of the tactics that you do use or, you know, I mean that you would tell other agents to use, like, like what's break down that process. Sure. And again, it, it really is dependent when working with a client, I look at their skill sets and interests and how things work for them. But for me as an introvert, the thought of cold calling makes me nauseous. So I had to think about ways to grow my audience and build my sphere. Thank God for Instagram. For me, that's oddly, I don't mind being in front of the phone camera. Um, So I've built quite a following there. People love my stories. I think I am incredibly authentic and true. And, you know, I've it, it got to a point, any social media, it builds, right? You're, you're going, you're going and going. And then you hit this, this point where all of a sudden you're being recognized. I was working a few open houses and people would come and be like, I've seen you before. I mean, to be fair, I'm easy to recognize with the pink hair. But um, so Instagram is one. But aside from that, I'm really about building authentic relationships in real time with people. So I, I'm not going to be the, the voice on the end of the phone. That doesn't work for me. But things that have been super successful and comfortable for me are belonging to really targeted networking groups. So um, I launched a chapter of something called the Women's Business League down here in Naples. We're 15 women. We gather, we share business, we share best practices. We are each other's cheerleaders. But then just like the general real estate space, I have got incredible success at open house conversions. So I think when people come to an open house and they meet me and we engage in that real time, authentic conversation, 
you know, I don't want to jinx myself, but uh-huh. eight and a half times out of 10, if they were unrepresented, they would become my client. Um, so just working open houses, intentional networking. I don't mean the like walk into a room full of a hundred people with business cards, but really thoughtful where you're spending your time kind of building those networks. And it's, it's slow and steady. It takes time, but it's what works for me. Right. So you're about finding where your strengths are and look, there's two ways of thoughts. People figure out what are you strong at? What are you uh, weak at? And uh, many, the old mentality is, okay, well, I'm strong here, so I do not need to focus on this, but I need help here. So let's build up my weakness and make it a strength. And I have the, and then there's the other belief, which is more of the way I think. And it sounds like you're similar. I don't believe focusing on your weakness and trying to be great at something you don't like or not good at or hate is the way to go. I believe that if you're an eight out of 10 on on something, you find a way to improve that. So you become the 10 out of 10 on that and just do better on that and, and focus on that and build with your strengths rather than working on your weakness. Mm -hmm. That's just my philosophy. And that's what it sounds like yours is the same. Yep. So awesome. Right. Cause I looked at your book or I got your book as I was saying earlier. Right. And I like that, how to succeed at real estate. And um, the bottom tagline is what caught me when you don't really like people. Let's explore that title. How did that come out? (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, it's kind of a a, a play, right? Like, I don't dislike people. I very much like people. But as an introvert, I don't like being around oodles of people, you know? And so finding a way that is not the stereotypical real estate agent way, it was it was imperative for me. I had to think outside the box because early on, as I was trying to do the networking events and trying to do this outreach and these cold calling, I would just sit there and go, Oh my God, I can't do this. I hate this. What am I thinking? And nobody wants to wake up like that every day, you know? So I, I took a pause and said, all right, what works for me? What do I enjoy? Um, and I, I built from there, but I think that I don't really like people. It resonates with a lot of folks because, you know, there are plenty of introverts out there that maybe want to be in real estate. Who wouldn't? You've got unlimited earning potential. You could basically make your own hours within reason. Why should it be limited to the like outgoing, extroverted, knows everybody in the neighborhood people? So that's where that comes from. Interesting. I found that people can be one way at one point in their life and another way at another point in their life. And here's what I mean. I grew up that extrovert. I grew up where I was, I had no shame. I had no uh, reservations. Uh, I could just walk up to anybody and talk to anybody. It didn't really matter. I found as I got older, I want to do that a lot less. Mm. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the, like I used to be the guy that you got to go somewhere and you're going with a group of 25 people, fit them in the car, sit on top of each other, sit on the roof. It doesn't really matter. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, to the, uh, I go on vacation by myself. Yeah. And somebody says, Hey, where are you going? I'll go with you. No, thanks. Please don't. You know, they like, (laughs) true story. (laughs) I know. Right? Like, it's just weird because now, for me, example, we'll use the vacation. I find the vacation for me is a way to escape, right? Because my mind is always active, it's always going and it's like, like a, like a machine that never turns off. Right. Like, and sometimes I don't sleep because at nighttime I go to sleep. I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling tired. I lie down. I'm like, that's when I buy the most web domains. My brain is always going at night. I'm almost always buying web domains at 1130 at night. See, there you go. Right. And and that's my point because of that, for me, that vacation is a way for me to, because I'm a curious by nature. So it's a way for me to get out there and explore, right. And, and see different things for myself. And it's a way for me to not turn off my brain, but distract my brain. Absolutely. Right. It's uh, it's one of those things that it, now if I'm going with people I know, 
we're in the same circle, same conversation, same everything. My mind's still active. My mind's still going on the same thing over and over and over and over. So it's not really getting that uh, time away. Now there are right. people I meet, like we, like I have close friends that I, in where I am in Ontario that have a place in Naples. So when I go there, I'll hang out with them when they're there as well. But it's different. They're not in the industry. They're not in my, you know what I mean? So we have different conversations and it still is an escape. And they show me around places in Naples that I've never been to. So it's different. But to go, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so I like vacationing on my own for that reason. So that's my escape. Now, yeah. again, I'm just aside from vacation. So I find myself being more of that uh, introvert now than I used to be. And mm. so, and I have friends of mine who used to pretty much, you know, Go there, look, be silent, and just and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, does this guy ever shut up? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so I find that people can have different stages in their life and changes. And, you know, and so where, right. my, where I'm going with is where you're at today doesn't necessarily mean that's where you're going to be tomorrow, True. right? So, but it's it's good to be self aware and realize, you know, what are your strengths today and what are you not good at and why? What are you willing to work on and what is a deal breaker? Yeah. So love that. And I think I think in, in in many industries, but real estate particularly, if you spend so much time and energy working on those things you're not good at, you're going to get burnt out so quickly. It's not going to be enjoyable, and you're going to just give up. So, like you said, stay on that. You know, those things that are eight out of ten. Let's make them a nine. Let's get them to a ten, and you're going to love going to work every day, and love showing houses, and love being a realtor. Yeah, absolutely. Ironically, like I got a uh, investment fund now. That's what I'm really working on. I got my my agent's license. I even got my mortgage license, but um, they're secondary to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody says, oh, I'm going to buy a house with somebody else. Trust me, I don't care, right? I mean, not that I don't want the business. Don't misunderstand what I just said. Like, if you want my help, I'm willing to help and I'll do my best and at, at, at everything I do. I'm always deliver 100%, but I'm not offended. I, be, I have that abundance mindset where I believe there's plenty 100%. of business out there, mm -hmm. right? So I help those who want me to help them and those who think that someone else is better suited for them power to them. Yep. But where I am focused on, like really focused on now is my fund. And I, uh, and which is the reason mm. why I'm, you know, flying around looking for places. It's, um, yeah. it's one of those things that, uh, it, it goes back to what you were saying, like finally, what is your passion? What are you good at? What are you like? I'm good at finding deals. I'm good at knowing numbers. Uh, I'm a numbers guy when I'm, and, the, and this is why in my real estate business, I tend to try to work more with investors than the direct user. Now, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that I don't have direct users. And some of my investors are direct users because just because I help them find a rental property doesn't mean that they're not going to have a house for themselves to live in. But my right. primary focus is because when we go to a house, most people are focused on the decor. I'm looking at ROI. I'm looking at what improvements can you make to increase rents? What can you do to double your income? What can you do that will bring up the cap rate? Right, and, that, and that's the way I'm looking at it. But the typical person looking at a house... They're looking at where they can put their blinds. They're not looking at. Uh, <laughs> Let's measure for a couch. I know it's. I, I I love working with investors too, and I've got a handful of great clients who are investors. And there's less emotion, right? When you're working with investors, like you said, it's about the numbers. What's my cap rate? I, I love my end users as well, but there's so much emotion wrapped up into it that can complicate a transaction. That investors tend to be very straightforward. I don't care what color the paint in the kitchen is. Is it going to make me money? So. And that's where I'm at, which is why I started my fund, right? Because that's kind of focusing on the part of the industry that I do like. 
that that interests me that my you know i mean i start here and you know what i love real estate as a general right i'm at a coffee shop i start hearing people talk about mortgages and rates and and uh you know what they're uh what area they're looking at and i go from reading my book like this to all of a sudden i'm looking up looking around going who's talking what are they saying? Yep. <laughs> so obviously, you know, I'm in the right industry that way. <laughs> or even, I mean, I'm sure you fly about as much as I do. Whenever, you know, you meet your seatmate and they ask what you do and you mention something about real estate, all of a sudden they've got a million questions. Whereas if you had said, you know, I'm a engineer, the conversation would probably end there. That's a good point too, right? You know what I mean? And I love, yeah, which brings up the next thing, right? Because now I'm going to I'm gonna dig into the uh, coaching side here for a bit, which is um, we always have that question once you say i'm a real estate agent oh how's the market and Mm -hmm. i know the worst answer you can say oh it is great it's always a good time to buy i never say that i'm too honest i'm honest to you know how many people i hear like even when the market is on fire it's not something to say like let's be honest in 2021 when the market was berserk i you know somebody like if you were going to give the honest answer how's the market well if you want the honest truth this would be my answer not what i say but this would be the answer if we're going to say it how point blank the market is so friggin' on fire that if you want to light your pants up before you even sign the dot uh, on the dotted line, you're in the re- right friggin' market. If you want a market where you can, do, you know, make 100k in 10 months, that's how, what the market is. If you know what I mean, like it's like, but are you gonna overpay 100%? But doesn't matter. No, yeah, no. So if you want, if you're waiting, if you're asking that because you're waiting for that deal because the market's gonna crash then you're pretty much not in the market and you're pretty much running out of time. So, you know, yeah, if you want to get burnt, this is the market, right? Like that is the truth, but nobody wants to hear that either. So my question to you is where I'm going with this long-winded question is how would you reply to someone saying, how's the market? Well, don't forget, I operate in two different markets. So the answer will be different. Um, In greater Boston, Massachusetts, we have hardly an inventory and the majority of buyers are getting a mortgage. So they are being really affected by the interest rates. Whereas here in Southwest Florida, because we've got so much new construction, there's always some sort of inventory. You may, may not find the perfect dream home, but there's something and everyone's a cash buyer. So now they're going to be more picky and less affected by the interest rates. Um, I, I don't know that there's any cert- such thing as a perfect market. You know, there's always ebbs and flows. Something's always up. The other thing's down. It's just the nature of the economy. I would love if these my two separate markets could get together to make a more perfect market, even though I just said there's not a, such thing as a perfect market. Um, just even out a bit. You know, I will say in general, I I shouldn't say this. Working in Southwest Florida is a little less stressful. The market here, just because there is more inventory and people are cash buyers. There's there's less external factors affecting buyers, you know, mentality and and even sellers. I I think I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna go off on a tangent. I think we as as listing agents have done our clients a disservice. The the market in general because. You know, we list a property because the market's on fire, it sells for 100K over. And so now we're blasting that on social media, just sold 100K over ask. And now every neighbor down the street thinks that their place is also going to sell for 100K over ask. And so we've set up this kind of false situation that may or may not continue to happen. And I also think we're, you know, by the by listing agents doing that, those of us with buyer clients, our buyer clients are, you know, crying in their soup because they're like, I don't have 100K to go over asking price. And so I think we, through social media, through our own bravado, have kind of created this 
frenzy as well. Yeah, well, there's two ways to look at that. Did it sell over asking, meaning over uh, value, or did the agent just underprice it? Great question. And so it could be either. You know? Yeah, yeah. See, I have a I have a theory on that, and that's why I kind of agree with you on what you're saying. But I have a, a thing when somebody says they sold for two hundred thousand dollars over asking, they either underpriced it on purpose, trying to get the attention. Or they're mm-hmm. such a bad agent that they don't know the pricing and got it wrong. So, <laughs> and uh, I'll let the public be the judge of which one's which. <laughs> so like, now going into the coaching again, why? Why coaching? Why? Why not just continue selling houses? I just really missed that education component. Um, I missed mentoring people. I mi- and I, I, I realized that when I was a new agent, even though it was my second career and I, I had professional experience, I could have really benefited from really strong support and mentoring. I had a broker, I had a team leader, but they're not dedicated to me, right? Um, and so I think you can, with a mentor, with coaching, with that support, that dedicated support, you can just get that much faster, that much better, that much faster. Um, that's one piece of it. The other piece of it was you're kind of on an island. Like, as we said, you're, you're an independent contractor, you're working solo. Even if you're on a team, you kind of feel like your own little bubble. And sometimes there's stuff you just need to vent about, get a second opinion about without feeling judged. Um, you know, ask some questions that you may think are dumb questions and you're embarrassed to ask your broker. And so I think having a coach as that safe space, the, I, I like to call it your work bestie, Someone who understands the industry you're in, but that you feel super safe going, oh my God, I have this buyer that's making me crazy. What do I do? Right? Those like pull your hair out moments. You've got somebody that you know you can talk to and feel supported and trusted. Right. Now I'm going to pick apart the whole team thing, right? Like when someone joins, right? Like you can get fast tracked in terms of the learning and the growth by joining a team at first. Many agents want to do solo because I have the mentality of, I want to get 100%. I don't want to split my commission. Now, yep. there's another way of looking at that. What's more, what, what you want 100%. So look, I'm going to use the stats in Ontario because I know them and um, I don't know what they're like anywhere else and it might be similar. I suspect the stats are going to be very close to each other, but I'm going to speak on to what I know. Now, sure. average agent, 80% of the agents does zero to one transaction. More of them are closer to zero. Now we have 75, 80,000 agents in Ontario for a population of like 4 million, 5 million or something stupid like that, right? Like, mm. you know, it's kind of way more agents than anybody needs. So you can't walk down the street without yeah, bumping into one. Right. So here's where I'm going with that. Zero to one transaction. Average commission is roughly around $9,000 when you include condos, um, townhouses, you know, just average, right? So if you got a one and a half million dollars, obviously the commission's bigger. But if you were, let's look, when you add the low end, which is 500,000, and after brokerage spreads, I'm talking about 9,000, you know, that's net in your pocket. So average commission, 9,000 net in your pocket. Our real estate fees, when you calculate everything, first year is probably going to cost you because of the schooling, it's probably going to cost you 10, 11,000. So you're at a net loss in your first year. And every year after, depending on the brokerage you're with, is going to be probably around the 7,000 mark. So Mm -hmm. how many people can survive on $2,000 a year? Not very many. Now, if you're one of those, if you're also with a brokerage, I won't mention names. That's more, you know, one of the big name established brokerage. And I was at that one point in time, and I'm still with a big name established Mm -hmm. brokerage, but I'm not this brokerage, one particular brokerage there. Mm -hmm. 
annual fee was $12,000. That doesn't include the board mm. fees. That doesn't include the, uh, you know, RICO, which is Real Estate Council of Ontario. Doesn't include uh, the Ontario Real Estate Association fees. Doesn't include any of that. That's just the brokerage fee was twelve grand. So the moral of the story, that year, yeah. my cost to be in real estate was about 16000 And this is before you do any sales and they take splits. So with that being said, if you only did one transaction, you're at $9,000. So now I'm in a loss. Now, let's take it that most people aren't going to go to that brokerage in their first year. And they're going to go to the, every other brokerage, whatever it is. And the average is 7000 a year. So we'll go with that. So now, my point I'm getting at is that $9,000 commission, $7,000 cost, $2,000 a year. That's 80% of the people. And 15% will make a living. Now, a living to me is somewhere between eighty to 200000 That's a living. And you got 5% mm-hmm. that'll make the wealth, which is the 500000 to $5 million. So, and I think in a way, this is a microeconomics to what's going on in the world. Now that I've broken all that, I actually forgot where I was going with it. But that's besides the point. About, about teams, teams. Yes, uh, joining yes, a team. Yes, yes. So my, my, my point I'm getting at is, with that being the stats, somebody says, I want 100%. Wonderful. What is more money? 100, 100% of that $9,000 or joining a team and growing, maybe even getting to the 70,000 and 50% of that 70, right? And and then usually when you're joining a team and, you're, and if you're not getting, if you're on a team and you're not making 80 to 100,000 after your splits, you're definitely doing something wrong and you're definitely on the wrong team. But that's besides the point. It's just so many times people look at what is the cost and what they should be asking is what is the value? With all that being said, when somebody starts off, do you think they should start off as a solo agent or do you think they should start off on a team? And I know there's going to be variables where one will apply to one person, one will apply to the other person. Break that down for me in, in your thoughts. I actually do a lot of thinking and writing about this. Um, I, I have a chapter in the book about team, partner, independent agent, solo agent, because it does matter. I think my overwhelming should is join a team. There are obviously different situations, different teams, different, you know, whatevers. But my first year and a half, two years, I was on a team. And did I give up a lot of money to them? Yes. But to your point, do the math. I was getting, you know, say 50% commission and I still took home a hundred grand. So that or a hundred percent of let even let's round it up a hundred percent of 30 grand, right? Like, why am I going to sacrifice, sacrifice money and sacrifice learning opportunities? I joined a team with, you know, team leaders who had been in the game, had a great track record. I had other colleagues to learn from. I had more open house opportunities support system, just everything, and would not change that for the world in terms of what I did my first and second year. I think teams can be incredible. I mean, I, in hindsight, I was so excited someone wanted to hire me that I jumped at the first chance. I got lucky that it was a good team and that I was successful with them. But, you know, I would recommend doing some due diligence, really interviewing around because they want you as much as you want them, most cases. And so really find the right fit from a culture standpoint, from a workload, from a commission split, all those things. But I wholeheartedly support joining a team until you feel like you can fly the nest. Right. Here's my perspective, and this is where I think coaching fits in. I believe people should start with a team, and I don't necessarily mean that they shouldn't get coaching, but I'm looking at the reality of this, is that most people starting out are starting out with a very low bank balance. And with that being said, that's why 
I think joining a team is a way to fast track your outcome while the team absorbs that expense, right? Where yep. if you did it on your own, you need to pay for the advertising. You need to pay for all this stuff. Now, when you want to jump on your own, I still believe in accountability. At that point in time, you've had somewhat experience. You have, you know, your feet wet in the market, right? And you kind of have a just of what's going on, but you still need a form of accountability and you, and it comes down to how do I get to the next level? And that's where a coach helps you come up with that strategy and goal. Because when you jump off the team on your own and you're on your own and you're doing it on your own, a lot of the stuff you didn't do because the team did, you're going to realize what you actually got, right? So with that being said, is that it can be overwhelming. And I think the coach can bridge that gap and help you find that path that'll get you to that next level. Now, in the beginning, I said, most people coming out are not going to be able to afford to pay the brokerage fees, board fees, um, pay their own advertising, pay for a coach, pay for all that, and uh, hope that the money comes in because you can go the first four or five months without even seeing a check. But yep. once you decide to go on your own, you're going on your own, not because, oh my God, I don't want to pay the team anymore. You're going on your own because you're like, I'm ready now. I've got the experience I need. I've learned the systems. I've learned the workarounds and I'm ready. Now I'm ready to do things for my own, grow my own business. I found the coach as a support. And at that point in time, you should have enough business to be able to afford that. What are your thoughts? I, again, completely agree. And I, I hate to keep touting my book, but I do have a chapter in, in there about like your schedule because and accountability, because when you pre real estate, if you had another career, you had a boss, you had meetings on your calendar, you had deliverables, there were deadlines. When you're a self-employed real estate agent, I could sit on the couch and drink coffee all day and no one's going to complain except my bank account. Right. And so if I'm not accountable to myself, I, I'm the only one to blame. I'm the only one who's going to get upset with me. No one's going to say, you got to do this, you got to do that. And so having a structure, whether it's a set schedule, a time block, a, you know, check, check and balance, accountability partner, all of that is super important because you could just as easily crank through a ton of work all day, every day, or lounge around. And I, I believe there's a happy medium, right? We're in this business because we have a flexible schedule, but that doesn't mean that I should be having a flexible schedule with my coffee all day, every day. True. Now, this business is not for everybody. There's a certain profile that would fit in this business, and there's a certain profile that does not. Now, when yeah, find some people who are considering the industry, we're going to say 75% in my opinion, and I don't know the exact percentage, I'm guessing, but I'm going to say there's a good majority, we'll put it that way, that look at that agent that's driving around in the BMW or the Mercedes, and they do not know that it's leased, which anybody with a job can pay for that car. They do not know that. They think they make so much money that look what they can afford. And a lot of it has to do with the agent putting up that uh, facade, uh, right? Yep. So they see that and they see their current cir circumstance and say, hmm. If he can do it or she can do it, I can do that too. And many of them get into the business and go out and lease their own BMW and still don't make the connection that that's the person they followed just did that to them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that person doesn't belong. My question is going to be, what would you say someone who's considering the industry, what should they actually be focused on to, and what should they know to determine whether the business is actually for them? That's a great question. I think as much as we talk about you make your own schedule, it's... It can be all consuming, right? There's, uh, I've worked hard to set boundaries with clients and other agents, but you know, as well as I do, your phone can start going off. I've had 7 a.m. phone calls. I've had 11 p.m. phone calls and weekends. And, you know, I think someone who maybe isn't 
flexible in their kind of day to day, it'd be a challenge for. Um, somebody who is a control freak, I don't know that I recommend real estate because there's so much that's out of your control. You know, you do your best to project manage and mitigate situations and get ahead of things, but sometimes it just happens. And if you're one of those people that kind of loses your mind when something goes out of control, probably not fit for real estate. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Actually, because that's the thing, right? One common line I hear, oh, I do everything for my clients and my clients are everything. They're so important. They're more important than me. And no. the thing that gets to me that I hear somebody say that, and then I've been on one of those realtor boards where saying my client wants to see this house and it only pays 1% instead of the normal two or two and a half. Um, what do I do about that? Well, if it was about your clients, the damn answer is show them the fucking house. So clearly you just made it obvious that it's about you. <laughs> And the money, right. So don't sit there and tell everybody, it's always about my clients. No, it's not. It's clearly not for you. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I love them, but I'm not going to walk their dog or pick up their dry cleaning, right? Like you need to set boundaries. Here's when I'm available. Here's my response time. And I think as early stage agents, you, you're just so excited for business. You jump every time the phone rings because you want to get that business. And that just sets you up for failure because... They're used to you answering like this and getting back to them instantaneously. And then once you settle in and you've got more than three clients, you can't sustain that. And I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I could go back in time, I would have done a much better job setting boundaries early on. Um, but you win some, you lose. True. I often say I do things for my clients and I actually mean it. And using mm -hmm. that same scenario, I was looking at a house and... I, I remember I was sitting in a coffee shop looking at a house. A friend of mine came by. I, I actually, what happened was I got, I, I meet a, a bunch of people in the morning for, uh, you know, the morning coffee route, whatever at the time. And uh person came by, looked at the listing I was looking at and says, well, why are you showing that? That doesn't, that doesn't even pay a full commission. And I thought I was told everything's about the clients. And I mean, that's when I got a glimpse of that. Right. And then I started thinking about it, but then for me, I still showed it because I wasn't thinking of that. I mean, did I find it frustrating? Yeah, obviously. When you're trying to pay your bills and all you, every time you see, every time you turn, all you see is another damn bill. And then you see what you're getting paid and you're starting going, geez, doesn't even cover my bills. So it is frustrating. But at the same time, I decided I was about the client. I was about the customer. I like, I get joy and satisfaction when they get the keys and they have that big smile that they're almost tripping over themselves. I get satisfaction yep. from that. So it is beyond the money. My issue with the statement I said before was not that the person was unhappy showing a house of 1%. My issue was stop making claims and then acting a different way. It's either A or B. It can't be both. Yeah. I'm, it, that's like the white Mercedes, right? That it's this facade. Oh, I do everything for my clients. You know, walk the walk and talk the talk. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And to get back to your other point, when we were talking about, you know, being on a team versus independent, okay, I'm showing this house that's a 1% commission instead of two. Is 1% of something better than 2% of zero, right? I mean, if the, it's all going to even out in the end. Although we won't talk about this today, and I don't know what's happening in Canada, but there's some movement down here about changing who pays oh god i heard about that yeah yeah that's uh it's ridiculous you know like <laughs> yeah let's represent your buyer okay that's exactly what we should do now turn the buyer and said oh mm -hmm. would you like me to represent you it's now going to cost you an extra nine thousand dollars now some people will see the value and say sure some people look at that and say why don't i just yeah. call the listing agent hey you want to sell this house yeah. yeah write up the offer yeah yep Again, it's we're supposed to be about the free market and they're creating limitations. So how is it a free market? Now, because at the end of the day, 
everything is negotiable. So if there was an, if there was a problem, why don't people negotiate better? That would make it easier, right? Like it's just mind boggling to me. Like, it's like, you know, you don't go to a car and say, well, you know, get me the sales manager, but I'm the sales guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I want the manager. Why? Because you're going to get $500 from my sale and I don't want you to get the $500. That That's really yeah. what it's saying. So let me just go yeah. directly to the sales manager and forget you and your job. Cut out the yeah. middleman. Yeah. Like uh, it's, I, uh, I think, I personally think it's what I call the deep state stick in their nose where it don't belong. Um, mm-hmm. Again, everyone has an opinion. I don't know if there's a right or wrong. This is my perspective. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. But uh, to each their own. So with that being said, every time we get into, uh, when we do something like you left teaching to get into real estate. Now, any business we started, whether it's real estate, whether you're in some sort of manufacturing, whatever, when you start a business, there's always that little hesitation where you're going, what have I done? Right. And you're always, because it comes out of fears, natural fears. I went from a straight paycheck to the, <laughs> you want to eat? Go sell that over there. And if they yep. don't buy, you're not eating. And we question ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you. But I think about how many hours are there in a day? 24. I sleep about eight. So there's 16 hours left. It would take two hours for eating and everything else. So we're at 14. So yeah, I think about quitting 14 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's so, yeah. true. so successful people think about it. Then they find a way to help not think about it. And then an hour later, they're thinking about it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they continue. Yes. Now, the ones that are not so successful listen to themselves. And uh, where I'm going with this is that there's also that moment where all the doubts and fears become manageable and you look at it and say, oh, okay, I think this is good. I have my aha moment where Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm on the right journey. I'm going in the right direction. Now you didn't get to the end goal because if you got to the end goal, you're dead. Um, (laughs) Right? Because that's our ending, let's be honest. But you're working towards the right path of building up that future you want and things are panning out slowly but surely what was your aha moment and have you had it yet i think i've had a couple um i think first and foremost is diversifying my income right so we have some rental properties i do some freelance writing i have these little pockets of money that are coming in so i know i'm gonna have groceries um and full disclosure i have a husband who works as well so i'm not as desperate for money but i do want to have my own money um but in terms of like, you know, this career, I am a driven, educated professional. I want to do things. I want to be successful. And yes, when I got into real estate, I had this holy shit, what am I thinking moment. Um, and then I kind of stepped back and I said, here's the deal. We're not going to get stressed about anything we can't control because that's just spinning your wheels. I don't get stressed in general, but that's a big one. So what can I control? What steps can I take? And let's just put a plan in place one day at a time, one hour at a time, start thinking, start being open, start learning. Um, I did so much observing my first year and just listening and asking questions and watching and getting myself as immersed as possible to just take in as much information as I could. And at one point I was like, I'm going to be okay. You know, it's all going to work out. Um, and sure, there are still some days, um, full disclosure, it's been a slow real estate year for me. I've not been putting the pedal to the metal. So that's my own fault. Um, I've been dabbling in other things, but I know what I need to do to get things back rolling again. Awesome. Now, in light of time, I'm going to ask you about two more questions and go on where do I get into the uh, lightning round or what I call the lightning round. All right. All right. Second last question. And one of my favorite questions, how do you know 
you've had a successful day. I am going to say, oh, successful day. Successful day for me. I'm not exhausted, right? Because that means I was doing, I was spinning my wheels at something. I was using my energy in a way that did not work for me. So I'm not exhausted. I feel content with what I've accomplished that day. And I'd like to think that I made someone smile. You know, so many people are like, I made a thousand dollars today. I, I, I closed six deals. Like that's not what it's about for me. Yes, I want that. I want the money in the bank. But for me, it's the, how am I feeling on the inside at the end of the day? Have I, have I been true to myself? Have I supported others? And have I accomplished some of the things I set out to do? Love that. Okay, last but not least, before the lightning round, is anyone looking for you? Where would they find you? So I am the only Amy Freedy in the world. So if you just Google Amy Freedy, F-R-I-D-H-I, anything you find will be me. AmyFreedy.com, Amy Freedy on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, you name it. It's fantastic. Me. Now, first question of the lightning round is what is your favorite food and why? Ooh, favorite food. I love a good New England lobster. I think they're they're a delicacy. They, you know, they're they're somewhat seasonal. They could be a little pricey. It's kind of a splurge, but they're just so delicious. Makes sense. Lobster's good. Now, favorite vacation spot and why? So small inside secret. We just bought an apartment in France. And I think France is I mean, France has always been near and dear to my heart, but I love our little apartment so much that that is and I don't know if you can call it a vacation spot. It's a second home, but that is probably my favorite spot. The Southwest of France. Specifically. Got it. All right. Uh, favorite podcast or book? Ooh, favorite podcast, which has just gone off the air, sadly. Um, I am a, I don't want to say a member, but a kind of, I adhere to what's called the FIRE movement, Financial Independence Retire Early. And yeah. my favorite podcast of all time is called Friends on Fire. And it's two friends who work together, are both kind of into the fire movement. One of them just retired early at 40 or 41. And they just talk about tips and strategies and things about, you know, working toward early retirement. Interesting. All right. Last but not least, if you were given unlimited amount of money and you had 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't gets taken away. What would you do? Ooh. Can we close real estate transactions in 48 hours? Because I would just buy up real estate like nobody's business. Fantastic. Even if you didn't close, you just had to make the purchase. All right. Done. There we go. Great answer. <laughs> um, yeah. What I found amazing is that you're in the real estate business and you clearly invest in the real estate business. And it's incredible how many people I come across that are agents and going around using the same stupid lines that everybody else uses. You know, I'm helping people with the biggest financial transactions of their lives and whatever. And then you ask, how many homes do you have? Oh, I rent. Okay. Wait a minute. You bought a Mercedes before you bought a house or maybe you yeah. leased a Mercedes. I don't know, yeah. but you're yeah. telling everyone else how great the housing business is and how everyone should own a home, but you don't as well. Yeah. It's just mm -hmm. backwards to me. Like, I don't think it should be mandatory for somebody to own a home to sell real estate, but it should be pretty close to that. You know what I mean? Like, like as an agent, that should yeah. be your first priority. Let me save my own down payment. So I can practice what I preach. Uh, it's like being a football coach and having never yeah, played football. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I find it mind boggling, right? I don't yeah. expect a person starting Agreed. out to necessarily have it, but you should want to work towards it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how can you preach? Oh, it's the best investment. How would you know? <laughs> right. Also, I mean, I just, the, the stresses of going through a home purchase, you want to be able to understand it so you can empathize with yeah, your clients. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amy, it's been phenomenal. Thank you for being on the show. Of course. It's my pleasure. If you like what you saw, and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to The John Papaloni Show.